Well, thank you very much. That was a great, great worship. Um, my name is Ross Gilbert. Welcome to, to New Life, to some new people here, as, uh, as Marco said. And um, I'm excited about what God's going to do uh, this morning. I want to, before we start, though, I want to give a, a, a chance for us to thank the people who set up in the morning. All the chairs and the coffee that we're about to partake. Normally, it's, it's Jeremy and, and Marco. They take on a big load of that, but Janice and, and others help as well. So can we just give them a thanks? You know, it was many years ago, uh, I remember, remember counseling a lady, and uh, she'd come into my office, she was, she was dealing with uh, a number of different things. Uh, her marriage was struggling, there wasn't much intimacy there, uh, a lot of breakdown in, in the communication with her husband. Uh, she was uh, struggling with her kids, she couldn't connect well with her kids. She was dealing with uh, a drinking problem and uh, depression and anxiety and, and all sorts of things. And so we're meeting with her for a while and, and we're praying through trying to figure out what's, what's the underlying issue of all this? What's, what's really underneath all of their struggles here? And, and one day she came into my office and she sat down and she said, I, I got to tell you something. I said, all right, what, 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 it, what is it? And then she sat there for at least the next 30 minutes, just writhing on the couch across from me. She would, she would twist and turn. She would, uh, she would alternate between lying on her left side and lying on her right side. Uh, she would have her, hand, her head in her hands, and then she would throw it back up in disgust. She would start, and then she would stop, and it was just for 30 minutes, at least, this went on. And, and I kept saying, you know, it's okay. You can, whatever you tell me, it won't, it won't change anything. I've already decided that I'm in. I'm here. I'm going to help you and, and support you. And you can't say anything that's going to send me running. And, but her fear was, if you knew, then you'd be upset with me. That you wouldn't, you wouldn't love me anymore. And, and so we, we waited. And then finally, she said it. She said, 10 years before, 10 years ago, I... Uh, I got pregnant with my third child and had an abortion because it was three kids and about three years and I was overwhelmed already and I couldn't handle it. And so I had an abortion and, and I've spent the last 10 years trying to justify to myself that it was okay, that it wasn't bad. It wasn't wrong and, and struggling ever since. And now we start to understand why she was struggling in her marriage because she partly blamed her husband for the abortion. And so that's going to cause rifts and, and lack of intimacy. She couldn't connect with her kids because she had to kill that part of her as a mom because she felt like she betrayed and didn't protect her third child. And so she couldn't connect with the other two kids. The guilt was leading to the anxiety and the depression that she was trying to cope and manage with the alcohol. And, and it came down to after we, we kept talking about this on and off for about two years. And it got to the point where she just came to the conclusion, I just can't receive God's love. And, and the issue was because she could not forgive herself. She couldn't receive that forgiveness. And, and so because of that, she was stuck. And, and she's just one example of countless people out there who 
who struggle to really forgive themselves. They, they think that what they have done, whether it was one sin or a hundred sins or 10,000 sins, that it's too much for even Jesus. That, that maybe, maybe God can forgive me, but I certainly cannot forgive myself. So Paul has, has written to us in this book of Ephesians to help us understand exactly what God has done so that we can experience the freedom, freedom from the cross. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning here as we continue on in our study in Ephesians. We've, we've been moving, not very quickly, we're moving slowly, and we, uh, we kind of saw that what Paul is starting here in Ephesians, beginning in verse 3, he talked about this, what is to be our natural response to God? You know, Peter kind of shared that after worship, right? It was this hallelujah, this praise to God. And that, that's really what Paul's saying. That ought to be our response towards God. Blessed be God. Why? Because he's blessed us. He's blessed you. With what? With every spiritual blessings. And, and we said this section here in Ephesians is, is sort of like the treasure chest of the New Testament, some have called it. Or, or it's like Christmas morning where, where we have all these presents that have been bought and purchased and wrapped up and they're just sitting under the tree waiting for us to open up and the claim is our own. And so we saw last time we were in this passage that, that God sees you. He knows everything about you. He knows what you've been through. He knows what you've struggled with. He knows what your current struggles are. He even knows what your future struggles are. And he says, I see you and I want you. I choose you. And I choose you that you would be holy and blameless. And that wasn't a command. It wasn't a command. Now go and be holy and blameless. It was rather him informing us of what he has done. For his own sake, he's made Jim holy and blameless. And that's who we are today. It's not something you need to accomplish. It's just, will you receive it? Will you take ownership of it? And we saw that we're also predestined to the adoption of sons. And we saw that adoption isn't 21st century adoption, where you and I exit one family to join another family. No, we've already been born into the family of God. This future adoption of sons is really speaking of graduation, of maturity, when we get to experience the full inheritance of everything that belongs to us, which includes now freedom from this body ravaged with sin, ravaged with death, and no more tears, no more struggles with a, a brand new body. So that awaits us. And so all these wonderful things that you and I get to open up and receive in this treasure chest. And so this morning, we want to go on now and take a look at a brand new present, another one, here in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7. And so here Paul writes, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that this morning will be a powerful morning that maybe, maybe these are things that we've heard before, maybe the things that we've not quite heard this way. Whatever the case is, Father, would you, through your Holy Spirit, would you do something extra special this morning and help us to, to understand what it is you've done so that we can apply it to ourselves and be free. We can walk out of here without the burden, without the weight that we carried on the way in. And so we need your Holy Spirit to do all that. In your, name, in your name we pray, amen. 
Well, as you can see in that passage, it's, it's about forgiveness. And in order to talk about forgiveness, we got to talk about another word. Uh, it's, it's a word that has generally kind of fallen out of favor. It's not, not used unless it's really uh, only in kind of religious circles and religious contexts that we find this word. But it's, but it's an important word. It's, it's sort of the, it's connected. It's the other side of that forgiveness. Uh, the, the word there is Sin. And, and notice the size of that word there. It is a massive word because it is, it is a heavy word. It is a, it, nobody loves talking about sin, right? And so it's, we've kind of dropped it, right? We don't want to talk about it very much unless it's sort of in, in reference to God. So we don't use it in our, in our regular vocabulary. We don't use it normally, right? So for example, Nick and Jeremy, you don't say to your kids, all right, Carter, come on in. We want to talk to you about your sins against mommy, right? We don't, we don't talk about it in that sense, right? Marco, is, you know, the principal doesn't call you into her office and says, uh, Marco, I want to talk about the sins you did the other day, right? We don't hear those kinds of phrases sort of thing, right? We don't, we don't use that in our, in our common language. Instead, we've, we kind of use a different word. We use a, a different a different word to substitute it because it's easier. Because who wants to talk about sin? Right? I mean, think about it. I, you're on the 401 and you crash your car and it creates a big pile up and shuts down the 401. You don't get out of your car and go, oh, I've sinned against you and the 401 and all the commuters. Like we don't we don't talk in those terms. Instead, we use a different word, a, a word that is much more palatable, easier for us to kind of take in. And the word we use is mistake. And notice it's a much smaller word. It's easier to handle. It's easier to deal with that I just, I just made a mistake. It's, it's so much easier for us to just kind of brush past this idea here. Because you know what? I, everyone makes a mistake. But the reality is this word, this word is a horrible replacement for the word sin. It's a horrible word because it it, it completely misses the point of what sin has done and the damage of sin. And suddenly a mistake is, is something so much smaller. But that's what we do, right? I mean, think about how many times we've seen politicians get up and, and they have to, to announce to the world that they've made a mistake, right? They've, maybe they've had an affair for the last two, three, four years, and they've gotten someone pregnant. Maybe they've defrauded the, the, the government or the taxpayer. And so they get up and they, they make some kind of a statement. And, and so here was one of a man, he had, a, he had had an affair for over a year, got his mistress pregnant, and he was doing all this while his wife had breast, breast cancer. And so it all comes out, and now he has to own up to this. And so he gets up and he says, I made a serious error in judgment. I've recognized my mistake. Think about that. I mean, to do that kind of a mistake for that long of a period, I mean, he had a plan for that mistake. He, he probably had to get into his car and drive maybe to another city to have that mistake. There was another politician. His mistake was with someone else in a different country. He had to get on a plane and go to a different country to have that kind of a mistake. That takes planning. You don't just suddenly wake up on a plane one day and go, oh, where am I? He had to buy tickets. He had to plan for that. So is there such thing as a premeditated mistake? A, a predetermined mistake? It just doesn't seem to add up. And yet that's what we're trying to say. It's just 
just a mistake, a, a momentary lapse in judgment. And just so we're clear, so we don't kind of look down on the politicians, you know, we're all guilty of the same thing. Because we've all made these mistakes tens and hundreds of times, thousands of times, some little, some big. And so we, we like the idea of just thinking of them as a mistake because then I can kind of move past them easier. But you can't, that, you can't do that with sin. See, you can fix a mistake, right? You miss a turn, then, you know, maybe the GPS, you know, recalculates you a new route or, or you do a bit of a U-turn. You make a mistake on a, on a test, maybe you, you get the eraser out, you rub it out the, the number, and you put something else in there, the right answer. You, you, you make a mistake, you spilled some milk, you know, that's a mistake. But, but sin is something way more. Sin, sin always leaves a, a bit of a mark, depending on the size of the sin. And so what do we do then? How do we cope with these mistakes, these sins? Well, we begin to do things like justify. We begin to rationalize. We begin to make excuses for our mistake. You know, it's, it's, it's not really my fault. You have to understand that, that when I was growing up, my dad did. Or when my mom was like, or as my inner child was this way. And it wasn't, you know, you have to understand the situation, the circumstances, I was pressured. And we got all kinds of reasons for it. There's one story. It's, it's too stupid to be made up. It really is. I mean, that's, that's how crazy the story is. This, there was a, a number of years ago, there was a basketball player named Latrell Sprewell. Anyone remember Latrell Sprewell? Uh, played for the, the Golden State Warriors at the time when they weren't very good. And uh, he got his contract null and voided and was suspended from the entire NBA for one year because he choked out his coach, P.J. Carlissimo, choked out his coach in practice. Because his, his coach did the egregious sin of saying to, to uh, Latrell, you know, put a little bit more mustard on your pass in the practice. And he flipped out, attacked his coach, and began to choke him. And then he was upset with the punishment. He thought the punishment was over the top. And, and this was his excuse. Here's, here's what he said, and I quote, I wasn't choking PJ that hard. I mean, he could breathe. Like, did, did, do you not hear what you're saying? But it sounds ridiculous, but you know, the truth is we all do the same thing. We, we water down, we justify, we make excuses, trying to make it more palatable. Or the other thing we do is we, we begin to compare ourselves to other people. Well, I'm not as, not as bad as Robin over there, right? Or, or I'm not as bad as Tim. And, and so you have to understand, we start comparing ourselves so that, <clears throat> so that I can begin to, to look a little bit better. And you see, at the bottom, underneath all that, a mistake is something I believe I can correct. A mistake is something I believe I can fix, sort of like a, a divot in the sand or in the, in the ground in a, for a golfer, right? I made a divot. I just got to put the, the, the piece of grass back in there, pat it down, looks almost as new, and we'll just keep moving on. And that's kind of how we often think of our sin. <clears throat> but the problem is it's, it's not nearly that simple. We can't just pat it back down and, and, and move past it. It's not going to work that way. Because all that ends up doing is just denying the problem even more, trying to bury it even more. And like that woman who came to my office all those years ago, we carry it with us. Wherever we go, we got this big burden of guilt, this big burden of regret. 
this big burden of unresolved sin sitting on our back, weighing us down. So let's, let's define this word sin so that we have a, a good understanding. There's some common definitions, I think, that are good. You've probably heard this one. Sin means to miss the mark. That's based on the Greek word. The Greek word harmatia is an archery term. It means, you know, there was a bullseye and you missed it. And it didn't matter if you missed it by one inch or you missed it by, you know, two feet or you missed it by two barns, right? It's way over in that field. It doesn't matter how many how much you missed the, the bullseye, you missed it, you missed it. And that's what sin is. There was a mark. There was a standard. And really the standard is the nature of God, the character of God. And anything short of that, anything short of the glory of God is sin. And we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Another one is it's a deviation. That's sort of how the Hebrew term for this word sin is. It's, a, it's something not right. There's, there was something that's perfect, and then there's something that's off kilter. It's a deviation from what's right and what's perfect. Others have treated it, well, it's a breaking of God's law. Uh, another one is, is based on Romans 14, 23, that whatever is not of faith is sin. And, and that really begins to open it up more because it's no longer about morality. It's no longer about, well, did I, did I help the little old lady cross the street? Did I, uh, was I able to, to, you know, say my prayers before bedtime? Did I let that person in when they were kind of merging on traffic? Or did I, did I do some bad things? Did I get drunk? Did I tell a lie? Did I, did I steal something? Did I, did I ask for Pepsi instead of Coke, right? I mean, we, we have these kinds of sins, right? And so, you know, whatever, it really, it's more than that. Sin is more than just behavior. It's the source. It's what are you trusting in? And if you're trusting in Jesus, there's no sin. But if you're trusting in anything but Jesus, in yourself, it is sin. Because it's, it's missing the quality of Jesus. But there's, and those are all good definitions. But there's one definition that I really like that I think does a great job of really capturing not just sin, but even why we sin. And the definition I really like is sin is getting a God-given need met in a God-forbidden way. So there's a God-given need, whether it be love, maybe it's belonging, maybe it's acceptance, or maybe it's peace or hope or joy, or maybe it's even pleasure. I mean, none of that is wrong. None of it's bad. But I have that desire, and I'm now going to satisfy that desire my own way. So my desire is maybe to have some pleasure, and so I would love to have a boat so I can go riding on my boat and nice weather here, but I don't have enough money for the boat, so I will now satisfy that desire. I will find the money for that boat by going somewhere else, by looking for it from my job, maybe stealing money from my job, frauding it. And so I'm... I'm I'm trying to meet my needs, but in my own strength, in my own ways. And I think that's such a, a huge game breaker. It's a huge, you know, understanding of, of why, what drives our sin now. It's that we're trying to satisfy something, but doing it in our own strength. Now, this morning, we're not going to go into much more about, you know, why we sin and how to avoid sin, as important as that is. This morning, I just want to focus on one thing. I want to focus in on the, the importance of what we do when we sin, of how do I release myself? How do I come out from under that sin? How, how, do, how do I make things right? Because the reality is there's always a result to sin, all sin. 
doesn't matter how big or how small, there's always one result, and the result of that is death. Romans 6.23 says this, the wages of sin is death. James 1.15 says that when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Now, we have to understand what, is this, what do we mean by death here, because let me start with what I don't mean, what it's not. It's not talking about spiritual death. It's not talking about separation from God. It's not talking about disconnection from God. Please understand, as, as, a, as a new covenant believer, as someone who's placed their faith in Jesus Christ, Jesus has placed himself in you. What Jesus has done is he says, I have come and I'm going to give myself to you so wholeheartedly, I'm never going to walk away. I'm never going to leave. But not only am I ever going to leave, I'm never going to turn away from you. So there's this idea that every time you sin, well, God's got to turn away from sin and he turns away from you. No, doesn't need to do that because he's got an answer as we're going to see. Instead, every time in the midst of your worst sin, Jesus is right there and he sees you. So it's not talking about separation or breaking a fellowship or breaking any kind of relationship. Nothing is broken between you and God. So what is the death that we experience? Well, I think the best way to explain it is with an illustration. It's, it's an illustration that I think most people can relate to. And it, it's around Netflix. How many people have watched Netflix? All right, so you'll probably be able to relate to it, right? Why, why do we watch Netflix? Think about it. Why do we watch Netflix? And why, more importantly, why do we watch so much Netflix? Because when you look at Netflix, most of what's on Netflix, most of it is real average. I mean, real average. And then, then the rest of it is below average, right? I mean, there's, there, it's, there's so much bad stuff out there, right? And yet, we will binge watch, and we will watch movies and shows and documentaries and over and over again. So why, why do we spend so much time watching Netflix? And the answer often is, it's an escape. It's an opportunity to, to run away from my problems, run away from my struggles, run away from my life, and I can escape into watching a season. And, and it will make me feel good. It'll give me some pleasure, give me some excitement. Maybe, maybe I'll laugh a little bit. Maybe, maybe I'll even learn something a little bit. And so we, we escape off into Netflix. So imagine now it's, uh, it's 10 o'clock at night and you were just watching some Netflix, maybe a couple hours of a, of a TV show, and it's 10 o'clock, and, and now it's over. It's, the episode ends, and Jesus now whispers to you, time for bed. You got a busy day tomorrow. You're going to get up early. You and the family are going on a trip, and, and it's going to be a long day and lots of travel outside. I think it would be great to get a good night's sleep. And we think, wow, what am I going to do now? Oh, you know what, Lord? It was just getting good. I mean, could you believe the cliffhanger they just left it on? I mean, that was, who saw that coming? I mean, I got to watch just one more episode. One more episode. 11 o'clock's that, not, not that late. Just, it'll be, it'll be okay, Jesus. So we watch one more episode, and then it's 11 o'clock. And now Jesus says, okay, time to go to bed now. Got to get up early. I'm like, oh, Lord, I... I I just couldn't see another cliffhanger. Could you believe it? They ended with another one. Who saw that one coming, right? It's incredible. I'll tell you what, just, just let me watch five minutes of the next episode. Just, I gotta see how it's resolved. I, I, I'm gonna go crazy lying in bed thinking about it. So just five more minutes, Jesus. So we, we watch one more episode, and then after five more minutes, we're just 
10 minutes, 15 minutes. So now it's midnight. All right, it's really late. You should get to bed. Oh, uh, you know what? You know, it's already late. <laughs> you know, it's already late. And, and it's, I'm, I'm, having, I'm having a good time. It's for the first time all day I haven't been able to breathe. No one breathing down my neck. No kids around. I, I just, and suddenly it's 2 a.m. And now you're like barely keeping awake. Okay. We finally go to bed, wake up just a few hours later, get up early to take the family on this trip. How are you feeling in the morning? Tired, grumpy, on edge, just irritated, e so easily irritated, angry at the littlest things, slow to forgetting things, not thinking right. All of that, you just physically, emotionally, mentally drained. That's what death looks like. Because that's what it is. Every time we sin, we are we're draining ourselves. We're giving away our strength. We're giving away our, uh, the power that we need. And, and really what happened was, basically, we placed a bet. We bet that the flesh would satisfy our need better than Jesus. But we lost. And so, so like a bookie, right? I mean, you go and you place a bet. And, and you think, well, you know what? I'm going to bet that the Blue Jays will win the World Series this year. Not going to happen. But you're going to make the bet, right? Because you think about it, you bet $10,000. I mean, the odds are, I think, 300000 to one. You bet $10,000. I mean, that's like $3 billion. You are set for life. Almost, right? So, so you think, uh, just ten grand, right? It just it won't be that much. So you go and you bet ten grand. Blue Jays will win the World Series. And guess what happens? Greg, do they win? No, not quite, right? Do they come close? Not even, right? But now you got to pay the, pay the bill, right? Now you got to owe the money. So the bookie comes and you're like, ah, I don't have the money. And so the bookie says, well, now you're mine. You belong to me now. And that's what sin does. We place a bet that somehow that sin's going to satisfy my need better than Jesus can. And and we lose. We lose every time. And so now we gotta owe, oh, we gotta pay the debt. But I, I, I can't afford, I can't pay it. And so sin says, now you're mine. You belong to me now. And we're under this curse of sin. And so we, we lose out. Instead of finding the peace and the, the, the escape that we're looking for on Netflix, it's gone. Instead of finding the, the pleasure and excitement of you know, the alcohol and the drink, we end up miserable and tired. Instead of that security that we thought control would give us, we end up more anxious and more frazzled and more overwhelmed. It just doesn't work. And so there's a curse on us, but there's a curse on those around us as well. Because they experience the death. There's no victimless crime. You know, you stay up to 2 a.m. watching Netflix. It's not like, well, I'm the only one that's going to be tired the next day. No, everyone else around you feels it. Everyone else around you feels it. And even if you're all alone, you've robbed other people of the opportunity to experience Christ in you. And so this death is a curse on you. It's a curse on other people. And so we need, we need it to be restored. We need it to be made whole. We need, we need what we need is redemption. And that's what brings us to this passage here. 
So we're going to go through this passage phrase by phrase. And, and I, hope you, I hope you hear really what I'm trying to convey. Because there's some, there's some incredible things that I was looking at this this last week. And I, I saw things I'd never seen before. And I thought, is this true? Is this actually real? I had to check with Robin and say, Robin, is this right? And so if it's not, it's Robin's fault, all right? I just wanted to throw that out there early, right? Because you got to have someone to blame whenever you're going to start something. So, but, but let's look at, look at the phrase here, right? So in Jesus, in him, we have redemption, right? Now, typically, we think of redemption and forgiveness, and we think of them as synonymous. We think of them as one and the same. But this is what I never saw before, that although they're very much related, they're very much connected they're not actually the same thing. See, redemption, redemption literally here means the purchase of a debt from the debtor. That's literally what it means. That this idea here that you and I have this debt, we owe sin, and what, what's happened is that debt has been purchased, redeemed by someone else. And so what's happened here is there's verses started popping through my mind. Uh, one verse, for example, would be a fee, or Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Talking about Jesus is, Therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, speaking of Jesus, likewise also partook of the same. Meaning, because we're man and woman, we're people, humans, Jesus, the Son of God, came as the Son of Man, came as a person in flesh and blood that he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil, and might free those who through a fear of death were subject to a slavery all their lives. See, what he did is he gave himself as a ransom for us. He purchased the debt for, for us from Satan. See, think of it this way. Satan basically, because of our sin, he owns us. He was the one we bet on. He's the bookie. And he's... We lost the bet, and he owns us now. So what does Jesus do? He comes along, and he pays your debt. So you belong to Jesus now. So Jesus owns your debt. And, and what did he do to pay for that debt? It was through his blood. The price on your head was the life of Jesus Christ. It wasn't, it wasn't purchased with money. It wasn't purchased with, goes on and says, uh, in 1 Peter 1.18, knowing that we're redeemed not with perishable things like silver or gold from the futile way of the life inherited from your forefathers, but from precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. The most expensive thing in all the universe, the life of Jesus Christ was ransomed, was paid for you. And I know we know that because we hear that over and over again, but but just let that truth sink in a little bit. That, that Jesus Christ suffered willingly. He gave up his life in order that you would be free. That you would be ransomed. So that he could have you rescue you from Satan. And now he owns your debt. And what does he do? Does he turn around and say to you, well, now that I bought your debt, now that I own this, Sue, you need to start doing this for me. That either you need to start working your tail off in order to, to make me happy. 
that you need to start to, to make sure you're, you're doing certain things and avoiding certain, that in order, because of what I've done for you, you now need to do this for me. You owe me as a result. Is that what he does? No. The next phrase here, right? So we've, we've been redeemed. How? Through his blood. In order for what? That you and I to be forgiven. The word forgiveness, the root word of it literally means just to send away. And I've, I've always liked the idea that forgiveness is to release the debt. So what has Jesus done? He has redeemed. He's purchased the debt. He owns the debt, but he doesn't hold it against us. He then lets it go, sends it away. As far as the east is from the west, he says, I no longer hold this sin against you. You are free. Think about it. Again, using that illustration of a bookie, you, you make a bet, you owe 10 grand, you can't afford it, the bookie owns you now until you pay off that debt, and then along comes Jesus, and he gives the money to the bookie. He made the bookie whole. It's incredible. He paid off the bookie so that he could have you. But rather than now you owing him, he releases it entirely. Why? Well, it's that last phrase there, according to the riches of his grace. He set us free. He didn't hold anything back. Simply because he longed to. He desires to. And so while there are still consequences to my actions, there are consequences on this world. I mean, if I, if I go and I get drunk and I drive, I, I you know, get pulled over, I'm going to get arrested and I'm going to face fines and jail time. And so there are consequences in this world. But Jesus is never going to hold that against me. He's never going to bring that up and throw it in my face to guilt and shame and control me or manipulate me. He says, I just let it go. It's gone. I've already paid for it. I've already dealt with it. And it's not just your past sins, but it's all your sins, your future sins. See, sometimes people get stuck on, well, you know, that was great for before I came to Jesus, but I've sinned since. You know, since I've been a believer, I've done this sin and this sin. I've, I've, maybe I've had an abortion or I've committed adultery or I've gotten drunk or I've stolen or I've, I've lied and I've cheated and I've betrayed friends and I've manipulated things. And I've just completely done so many bad things. And, and, and it was one thing before salvation, but I've done that as a Christian. And Jesus says, it doesn't matter. It's all the same. See, in Hebrews 10 and verse 12, it says that Jesus offered one sacrifice for sins for all time. That's all it was, one sacrifice. And he paid the bookie. He paid Satan. Satan no longer has any claim to you because you were bought by another. You are owned by Jesus, and he doesn't keep the debt. He sets you free. So there's a great passage, I think, that kind of displays what this looks like and then what, what a difference it makes in our lives. And it's a story in Luke chapter 7 where Jesus goes visits the, the home of Simon the Pharisee. And, and in this time in the culture, what would happen is you would walk into a, to a, to a place, uh, to a home, and one of the first things they would do is the servant would come with a bowl and a towel and they would wash the feet of the guest. 
And part of it was because, you know, we don't, your sandals are dirty and you're tracking in dirt and so forth. So we want to keep things clean. But another thing of it, I think it was just, it was kindness. It was hospitality. It was just, think about it, in the hot summer, in the desert, to then put your feet in some cool water. I mean, if you could put your feet in cool water right now, wouldn't you like that? Amen. Right? That would be pretty nice right now, right? So, so that was what was, you know, what would normally happen. But along comes Jesus, and they didn't do that for Jesus. And so Jesus is just kind of sitting there, and all of a sudden this woman comes in. And, and it's interesting how, how they've kind of described her. It was an immoral woman or the sinful woman. The reality is everyone knew who she was. They knew her story. They knew what she was like. Back then, she probably was some kind of a prostitute. Or maybe she was uh, repeatedly unfaithful. Uh, maybe they knew that she was a manipulator, controller. Or, but there was something about her that everyone knew her story. She was the one they all liked to gossip about. And, and she comes in. And she begins to cry at Jesus' feet. And with her tears, with her hair, she washes Jesus' feet. And there's, there's Simon the Pharisee. He's looking over at that, and he kind of whispers to his friend, huh, you know, if he was any kind of a prophet, he would know. He would know how dirty she is, how immoral and how sinful she is. And if he was any kind of a prophet, he would want nothing to do with her. He would shun her in order for him to stay clean. And Jesus goes on, asks the question, who do you think, who do you think has been forgiven more? Who do you think will receive love more? Who do you think will love, give love more? The one who's been forgiven a little or the one who's been forgiven a lot? And they were hit right between the eyes because they knew exactly what Jesus was getting at. He was talking to them and they were realizing why she was there. See, I don't, I mean, just think for a moment what it was like for her. I mean, the guts, the courage it took for her to walk into Simon the Pharisee's home in the first place. She was, she was exposing herself to all kinds of, a, of risk. What were people do? What were they going to say? How were they going to treat her? They all knew about her. And so she knew that she was about to face the scorn of all these religious, righteous, in their own eyes at least, Pharisees. And she didn't care. Now, I don't know why she knew or if she had an encounter with Jesus earlier or just heard him preach and, and, and took him up on his offer. But I think those tears were tears of joy. And it was worth the risk. It was worth the risk to go and cry at his feet and bless him and wash his feet with her tears in her own hair. And what I love about the story is how Jesus rewarded her risk. You put yourself in a vulnerable spot, but I'm going to protect you because I'm going to stand with you. I'm going to be right by your side. Because you're forgiven. And he who's been forgiven much, loves much. And that's what you're witnessing. And so he then turns to her and he says to her, I go in peace. 
can imagine all that guilt, all that remorse, all that regret, all the guys I've been with, all the lies I've told, all the, the disrepute I've brought to my family. And Jesus says, go in peace. I bought that debt up. Belongs to me, and I don't expect anything in return. I sent it away. It's gone. Forgiveness. Imagine we could do that. Imagine, imagine if you could do that right now. To actually forgive yourself. You know, some people get into some kind of theological debate. You know, is it, is it theological to forgive yourself? And, and, you know, nowhere in the Bible does it talk about that. Listen, all forgiving yourself is applying God's forgiveness to you. Because I hear it from so many people. Well, I know God forgives me, but I can never forgive me. Well, then you haven't understood God's forgiveness. See, forgiving yourself is merely the application of God's forgiveness of you. And all that sin... Maybe, maybe it's just there's one sin from your past. You just can't shake. Maybe like that woman, you had an abortion. Maybe it was a moment of infidelity. Maybe, maybe you hurt someone. Maybe you broke someone's heart, betrayed their trust. Maybe it's not just one sin. Maybe... Maybe it's a handful of big sins. Or maybe, maybe it's hundreds of little sins. But all that weight, all that guilt is just sitting right there. Actually, it's not on your shoulders. It's on your chest. I mean, you can't breathe. It's just suffocating you. And Jesus is saying, you know, I paid for that. And I don't hold that against you anymore. You're free. All you need to do is let it go. Trust me and let it go. And you think, that's just too simple. Well, it is simple. But you see, Jesus has already done all the work. All he says, will you trust me? Will you release it? And I think if we can do that, what will happen when you know how forgiven you are? You can't withhold forgiveness from someone else. It's impossible. When you start to realize, my, oh my goodness, my soul, look what I've been forgiven of. And now I'm going to hold this against someone else. It's ridiculous. When you see how free and how forgiven you are, suddenly other people sins against you. It'll be, I'll be okay. Jesus paid for that one too. And now you're able to forgive other people. And what does that, has it changed relationships? But not only that, I think that's going to begin to, to put something in us to drive us to go and share our faith with other people. Because when you get that taste of freedom, that taste of forgiveness, that taste of just being able to breathe, you're going to want to tell everyone you meet. Because you're going to see their struggles. And you're going to want them to know and experience what you've been experiencing. And it all starts with receiving this gift. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, we, uh, we've carried hurts and burdens for far too long. And we don't want it to be that way anymore. We want to experience freedom. Freedom that you've already purchased. You gave yourself as a ransom. You ransomed yourself. You paid the price so that we could go free. And instead of then using that debt against us to control us, you forgave us so that we can have peace. I pray each person here that they won't, they won't leave here with the burden they came with, that they will place it down and walk out of here free. In your name we pray, amen. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've seen in working with people one-on-one that moment where they finally forgive and they're finally free. It's almost like they grow three inches and they can breathe again. And so don't, don't let another moment go by. Take advantage of what God wants to do this morning. Uh, I'm here. Robin's here. I'm sure Sue would love to pray with you. Peter would love to pray with you. Anyone. Grab anybody, really. And just say, hey, can you... Will you pray with me and just forgive yourself and be free? Have a great morning. God bless.